You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in. A busy Thursday ahead here on the podcast. Our title sponsor on today's show is our good friends at Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all of the parts your car, truck, or SUV will ever need. Check them out right now at rockauto.com. All right, today you're going to have an extended edition of the podcast, a great conversation I had with some guys who cover the Naval Academy. It's the Sing Second Sports Podcast, guys who cover Navy, who are Navy alumni, and guys who are very invested in what the midshipmen are, midshipmen are doing. We'll get a deep dive on what to expect from the game on Monday from their perspective. We'll also get to our player countdown series. Who are the best Cougars to have worn the number five and the number four in BYU history? We'll break that down on today's show as well. Today's show is also brought to you in part by our good friends over at Biomat USA. We'll tell you a little bit about them later on in today's show. All right, with that rundown out of the way, let's get going here. This is the Locked on Cougars podcast for September 3rd, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for taking the time to download your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars with us here. Coming up here in just a little bit, we're going to get to an interview I did with the guys from the Sing Second Sports Podcast. They cover, cover the Naval Academy, get some great thoughts on the midshipmen and the upcoming game on Monday night. A little bit of an extended edition of the podcast today. We're going to go beyond our normal 30 minutes today. But, hey, great conversation nonetheless, and we'll get to all of that here in a moment. But before we do that, need to catch up on the player countdown series on today's show. As I mentioned yesterday, I failed to put up a poll for the number five player in BYU history. So we're going to talk about number five and number four on today's show. And let's start off with our finalists at number five. We had former BYU defensive back Derwin Gray, former BYU guard Kyle Collinsworth, Another BYU defensive back in Kyle Morrell and former BYU baseball standout Wally Joyner. And this might have been the closest in terms of the vote in recent memory during this player countdown series because all these guys are fantastic players. Derwin Gray has the notoriety of being the last defensive back from BYU to be drafted into the NFL. You have to go all the way back to 1993, I believe, is when he was drafted. And It's crazy to think it's been that long, but maybe at some point here in the near future, BYU can end that drought. We'll see what the current crop of defensive backs do for the Cougars. But Derwin Gray, a great player, walking triple-double himself. Speaking of Kyle Collinsworth, a great player who went on to have some time in the NBA, played in the G League recently, and as you heard on this podcast a while back when we had him on, he has a new team lined up, has not revealed where he'll be playing this coming season, but excited to make his next stop in the pro ranks. Kyle Morrell, who has one of the more famous plays in BYU football history and a disappointing fourth place in this voting at 6.2%. Morrell, of course, had that uh, tumbling somersault tackle on Rafael Cherry to win the 1984 game at Hawaii for the Cougars on their way to the national championship. A guy who's now battling ALS. Kyle Morrell, a legend in BYU history. And then, of course, Wally Joyner, a standout for the Cougars before going on to have a legendary career. Okay, legendary may be too strong of a term, but all in all, a great career in Major League Baseball, a home run derby title, and just a standout player for many, many years in the big league. So four great players 
And as it stands, as of recording, Derwin Gray with the narrowest of wins, 35.1% of the vote to Kyle Collins was 34%, Wally Joyner with 24.7%, and Kyle Morrell with the 6.2% to come in fourth place. And I have to say, guys, I was going back and forth thinking, okay, who would you pick, Jake? Who is the best Cougar to have won the number five in BYU sports history? And I'm not going to lie. My pick, Kyle Collinsworth. And you guys know I lean more towards the football side of things, but what Kyle did in his BYU career as a basketball player can't be overstated. He was the triple-double king during his senior year and just was a great player for BYU, filling a myriad of roles. At one point as a freshman, he was part of a a defensive rotation, a 1-3-1, where he was actually the one in the post uh, helping guard big men. His ability to adapt to every situation and to be able to come back from a major ACL injury in time for the next season, I believe that was between his junior and senior years, if I'm not mistaken, just incredible. And Kyle Collinsworth is my pick today. I know Derwin Gray was a great player for the BYU Cougars. I have no problem with Kyle Morrell. Wally Joyner is a legend in his own right. All these guys are legends, but I guess maybe some recency bias is getting to me. But what Kyle Collinsworth did, his versatility, his ability to adapt his game to whatever was needed for him from him as a BYU Cougar, he gets my pick today on the podcast. And Feel free to disagree with me. Uh, many of you have, obviously. 35.1% of the fan vote going in favor of Derwin Gray. Dewey, uh, now a pastor down there in the Carolinas at a church and doing some absolutely marvelous things. Uh, Derwin is a great representative of BYU, a guy who has never forgotten what BYU did for him and just a legend in his own right. And I think Dewey is a guy that BYU fans should aspire to keep in the fold if at all at all costs because he is a guy who is not a member of the LDS faith, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but raves about his time at BYU. He met his wife Vicky while he was here at BYU. Just so many good things happened in his life as he has talked about. And we're going to try and get him on the podcast here in the next little bit, talk a little bit about what he's doing right now because he's writing books. Of course, he's a preacher. He's a he, he's a pastor in a church down there in the Carolinas and just does some great, great things on social media. So I think a fan vote going in favor of Derwin Gray and me picking Kyle Collinsworth. Well, guess what? We covered our bases there. Now on to number four as we are just four days away from BYU and Navy kicking off the season. And our finalists there include former BYU big man Michael Smith, former BYU linebacker Fred Warner, former BYU guard Jackson Emery, and former BYU defensive back Gennaro Guilford. The fan vote in this one going very heavily in favor of Fred Warner with 60% of the vote. Michael Smith in second place with 20.9%. Jackson Emery 11.1%. And Gennaro Guilford with 7.3%. And when I was thinking about this one, this was a pretty simple one for me. And it was that, hey, I'm picking Fred Warner. Michael Smith has actually become a decent friend of mine in the media. He has called Los Angeles Clippers games for the better part of, I believe, two decades. Recently, he's been working for the Utah Jazz as a pre-half and post-game analyst on AT&T Sportsnet. A big-time golfer, by the way, guys. This guy really can play some golf at six foot nine, six ten, whatever height he is. He's a great player in the sport of golf. And Mike Smith was a great natural athlete, kind of a stretch four before stretch four was actually a thing in basketball for the BYU basketball program. Spent some time in the NBA and then, of course, went on to a broadcasting career that spanned multiple decades working in the NBA. So Mike Smith, a a good pick, but I had to go with Fred Warner. 
what Fred did for BYU football, despite maybe the most disappointing senior year you could have imagined for him in 2017, was just marvelous. A guy who just played multiple roles, played a linebacker role, even played that flash linebacker spot where he was more of a safety at points. The, the, the only thing about Fred Warner and what he did and what we're seeing now from him in the NFL is that I felt like at times he was miscast in BYU's defense. Yeah, is he the prototypical guy you want to play that quote-unquote flash spot where it's more of that hybrid safety linebacker role? No doubt. He had the ability to guard guys in space, despite being 6'4 and 225 pounds, whatever he was while he was a BYU Cougar. But what he has shown now in the NFL as the starting middle linebacker for the San Francisco 49ers, a guy who calls out the signals for that defense, he has proven that he's more than capable of being a middle linebacker. Could BYU have benefited from him playing more in a run support slash pass rush role as a middle linebacker than as a hybrid safety linebacker? We'll never know. But Fred Warner, I think what he did in a BYU uniform set him apart, and I am picking him as the number four, the best number four in BYU sports history. I really wanted to pick Mike Smith, but like I said, my recency bias might be playing into it, and I'm picking Fred Warner as the best Cougar to have worn number four. We'll get to number three on tomorrow's podcast and, of course, have some other additions over the weekend to get you closer and closer to kickoff on Monday night. It's crazy to think it's that close, but I wanted to get you guys an insight on to what the Naval Academy will pose for BYU. I had a chance to speak with the guys from the Sing Second Sports Podcast that covers the Naval Academy, and we'll get to that in the rest of today's show. It'll be a little more of an extended edition, as I mentioned. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends at rockauto.com, guys. I've told you a lot about this company, but I can tell you this much, guys. Anything you need for your car, engine modules, mufflers, motor oil, rear view mirrors, I don't care what it is that your vehicle needs, rockauto.com has all of the parts your car, truck, or SUV will ever need. And the best part about it is it's multiple different options for you. This is not where you go to the auto parts store and say, well, we've got option A, B, and C here, and that's what you got. Every option under the sun that is available for your vehicle is available at rockauto.com. The best part about it all is it comes directly to your door. It's shipped directly to you guys. They want to take the sting out of auto repair because, man, can the prices get jacked up real quick. Well, it's always reliably low pricing at rockauto.com. Professionals can't get a better price than you can as a novice or a do-it-yourselfer. That is the best part about rockauto.com. They also don't make you sign up for a membership or whatever to get the best prices. This is a great company, a family-owned company, been running online for 20-plus years, and I can guarantee you they will have the right parts for your car, truck, or SUV at the best prices. Go to rockauto.com. When you stop by, make sure to mention Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you to check out rockauto.com. Once again, rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all departure car, truck, or SUV will ever need. Check them out online right now at rockauto.com. All right, guys, an interesting background coming up here you're going to hear about from the Sing Second Sports Podcast with Chris as well as John, who joined me today to talk about the Naval Academy. These guys started a podcast and quite possibly the worst time to possibly start one in many people's opinion. We'll let them explain here in just a moment, but a great conversation about their podcast's origins, what they do to cover the Naval Academy, and then just in a little bit, we'll get to some more on this game on Monday night between the Navy Midshipmen and the BYU Cougars. So without further ado, here's part one of my conversation with the guys from the Sing Second Sports Podcast. 
please welcome in the guys from the Seeing a Second podcast. And we'll explain the name of that here in just a minute. But I wanted to welcome in John Schofield and Chris Cervello. Guys, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, let's get this out of the way right now. Seeing Second Podcast. I think people who are familiar with the Naval Academy and the Army-Navy rivalry might have a sense of what this entails, what it means. But I'll let you guys explain it. Why the Seeing Second Podcast name? So everything at the Naval Academy is focused on singing second for the Army-Navy game. Uh, The winning team sings their alma mater second um, so from the time that you start at Annapolis in the summer of your plebe year uh, until you, you know, they bury you in the ground, <laughs> your goal is to sing second for, uh, for every sporting event. So uh, it just seemed like the ideal name to capture uh, the spirit of what we're after. Absolutely. I think it's a fantastic name. Uh, And it really, the funny thing I've noticed about podcast names, if you can relate it to whatever team, whatever program that you're covering, people seem to gravitate to that. So I I applaud you guys. I think it's a fantastic idea. And you guys have done some great work so far. I heard we were talking right before we recorded. You guys started this podcast in the height of COVID related shutdowns. Is that right? Yeah, you're right, Jacob. It was, uh, you know, Chris and I, who have known each other, we were both serving in the Navy together. Um, we both did 20 plus years in the Navy. Uh, we're both public relations officers and, and you know, have been longtime friends uh, for almost the entirety of that time. Uh, we were having coffee one day back in the, uh, you know, back in the days pre-COVID, which I almost can't remember. And <laughs> And, you know, we just kind of hatched this idea that this was a space that that wasn't occupied, you know, and, and you have a very unique rabid fan base, which is the the Naval Academy and Annapolis based Navy fan fan base. So, um, you know, we we got together, we decided to uh, give it a try. You know, we're both Navy retirees. What are we going to lose? And uh, then we just decided on the name as a way of really appealing to that rabid fan base. And, and it picked up, you know, the great thing about our, not only our friendship, but our, our mutually shared Navy careers is that you build a very large network of people with whom you've served. And those people are athletes. So the Sing Second Sports podcast was not meant just to be about Navy football, but to give a very wide look at all of these sports. And the Naval Academy is a unique sporting uh, um, organization or, or institution in that they have 33 D1 sports. That's third most in the nation. Stanford has 39, Ohio State has 35, and then you have the Naval Academy with 33. So you have our network, you have all of these athletes with whom we've served, with Chris you know, having attended the Naval Academy. A lot of them are his classmates and friends as well as they are mine. And, and so we, we really just hoped that it would catch on based on that network and, and that level of fanaticism. And we were lucky that it did. Hey, that's fantastic. Chris, anything to add on to that? The only thing I would say is, um, you know, we had this grand plan that we were going to launch this um, during the Patriot league tournament. Okay. Uh, and um, we were going to really use uh, lacrosse and spring football as a way to kind of shake off the rust, build the brand, build our routine. And then there was no sports. Um, so we kicked it for a month. And then we thought, you know what? I mean, we were dying uh, like everybody else. And it really was, I, I will throw a nod to maybe Michael Jordan. 
uh, it was during the ESPN running of that documentary that we said, hey, the heck with it. Let, let's just start this thing and see where it goes. Um, and so we've been doing it ever since. But, yeah, we're, we're probably the – first sports podcast to start with no sports uh for the first you know four or five months uh but you know we're, we're making it work and that's that's the that's the amazing thing about this is me reading up and like seeing where your guys' podcast i saw kind of the start date and i'm sitting there i'm like did they really start here in the middle of this but props to you guys the fact that you guys have kept it going all this time and your first sporting event is going to be this byu navy game if i'm not mistaken has there been anything else from the naval academy so far no, uh, and, and that's what's neat about it. But it, it really fits, to follow up on Chris's point, it really fits what we enjoyed doing while we were in the Navy. And, and, our, and our job in the Navy, for lack of a better way of putting it, was to tell the Navy story. Um, and now we just get to tell the Navy story about Naval Academy athletics. And so what a lot of people might not know um, and your listening audience is that the Naval Academy is a unique beast, all of the service academies for that matter. And I'm sure people in Utah are more familiar with uh, Air Force than they yeah. are with uh, Army and Navy. But, you know, the physical mission is a requirement. It's not just something that you are asked to do or recruited to do. The physical mission is a requirement. Um, you are you are being trained morally, mentally and physically to be people of consequence out in the fleet. Um, and they believe, and, and it's proven true, that, that your ability to perform physically has a direct correlation to your success in the fleet. Whether you're a Marine infantry officer or a submariner or a pilot in a cockpit, you know, who's dealing with a, with a troublesome situation, you know, the, the lessons that you learn on the athletic field are critical to your success. As Douglas MacArthur said, and I always use this quote, upon the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds of victory. Um, you know, that, that, that rings true. And so now we're able to tell the story of a lot of these athletes who are, you know, incredible people. They're 4.0 students, they're future astronauts, they're current astronauts, as we talked to some alumni. Um, they're, they hold elected office. Uh, one of our guests next week is uh, a woman named Amy McGrath, uh, who is challenging Mitch McConnell uh, for his Senate seat in okay. Kentucky. And she's a 1992 um, graduate, 96, I think. Yeah, um, 96 graduate of the Naval Academy. So these are the neat stories that we didn't think, admittedly, we didn't think we'd be able to tell. And now we're able to tell them. Um, and when sports eventually returns, we'll turn it back into kind of a straight stick sports podcast. But we've really enjoyed talking to people and learning their stories. Absolutely. And I listened to you guys' latest episode actually earlier this week, just kind of get a feel for what you guys do. And I think you guys do a great job with that. But let's break into this Navy BYU matchup. I'm going to, so I'm, we're going to do a QA as a, how I'm going to set this up. So I'm going to ask some questions about uh, what I'm looking at from the BYU perspective of this. And I'm going to throw it open to you guys in terms of return for Navy on the BYU perspective. We'll kind of go back and forth here. But I'm going to start off here. Obviously, uh, you lose Malcolm Perry a year ago, one of the best quarterbacks in recent memory for the Naval Academy, and there have been a bevy of them, but I think he was one of the best of that entire group. Now you have a guy who has been buried on the depth chart for the entirety of his Naval Academy career, seemingly, step in and take over the starting role. What can we expect as BYU fans out this way to see from Navy when the offense takes the field Monday night? So not to take anything away from Malcolm, because we're huge Malcolm Perry fans, but Malcolm Perry wasn't Malcolm Perry at the beginning of the season, right? Um, he, had, he had played a little quarterback. He had played a little slot back. 
Um, Ken Niamatololo, uh, you know, coach realized that he didn't stick with him long enough. And, and so it was when he was given that opportunity, mentored by, uh, you know, coach Ken and by um, offensive coordinator, Ivan Jasper, that um, Malcolm's real talent, uh, you know, was achieved. Our thought is, is given um, how uh, Coach Ken and, and Ivan run the uh, the offense, that um, really next man up does apply, and, um, and that you know whoever the quarterback was, they were going to be put in a uh, a position to succeed um, because it's a very um, uh, very disciplined system. Uh, obviously, if you have a, an athlete like Malcolm or Kaipo or any of the ones over the years that have that have succeeded, you, you know, they take that to another level, but we feel pretty good about uh, where, you know, where we are opening up Monday. Um, I think we'll feel better after Monday's game. Once we, you know, get all of the cobwebs and all the butterflies out of our system, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah. So Dalen Morris is his name. I felt to mention that earlier. Is how different in terms of you guys uh, knowing what you know of him, and I've also been on the Zoom calls with Coach Niamatololo and uh, when he described him. But what type of quarterback is he in relation to other option quarterbacks in Navy's system? Well, Jacob is very dissimilar. In fact, we were just uh, doing our own pod where we were talking to our play-by-play announcer, the voice of Navy sports, Pete Medhurst. Um, and uh, the local uh, print journalists uh, and our recurring co-host, uh, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. And, and the, the focus point was, hey, if you watch this kid's tape from high school, he was, uh, you know, he came from a very competitive background in Alabama where they sort of know a little bit about playing football. <laughs> yeah. And he could absolutely throw the rock. Like he, you know, the, apparently on his tape, and I haven't seen the tape, but he could throw 70 yard passes just and, and hit guys between the numbers. So that will change the paradigm a great deal. He's bigger, he's taller, but by all accounts, he's a little bit faster, but it, you know, that that's the, that's the challenge for us, for you, for us, for play by play guys, for, for any journalist covering these, uh, these kids, usually they are the bent, they have the benefit of attending spring practice, of attending two-a-days in August as they get prepared, and they can see these players develop. Now, um, you know, essentially the announcement of Dalen as the quarterback was met with total surprise because everyone who's traditionally covered Navy football just couldn't see it and didn't know about it. So uh, we, everything we're hearing is very positive. Like it, this is a system game now with no disrespect to the Keenan Reynolds of the world and, 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 you know, uh, Chris mentioned Kaipo, you know, the, the Ricky Dobbs, the Craig Candidos, you know, the, the, the Navy doesn't have a BYU like quarterback list, but it's a pretty good list. Um, and, and they are the benefactors of a really good offensive line, a really, really good scheme called by Ivan Jasper and the triple option so I do think that that Dalen will come in and assimilate very well into that system. What I do think people are going to see is a lot more passing, and that by itself is a total change. 
Yeah, I, I do. I do wonder about that because that, when we talked to Coach Ken, I remember him mentioning, you know what, this is a different type of quarterback than we've had here previously, especially in relation to a guy like Malcolm Perry, where it was more of a run-heavy scheme because Malcolm was just so talented running the ball. And that will be interesting to see how they kind of integrate that. I wanted to ask you guys about that offensive line. I've, I've heard a lot of talk about rebuilding the left side of that line. I believe two full-time starters are back. How are they looking up front? They actually think that this is going to be one of the strengths of the program again. Uh, last year, unequivocally, from the coaches to the players to the journalists, it was the offensive line that was the key uh, to the success. That's why uh, Jamal Carruthers, the uh, the fullback, um, you know, played so well, had so many bursts, um, you know, for for long yards and for big plays. Uh, Malcolm was able to uh, to squirt through and and just make highlight reels and you know the Miami Dolphins are seeing a whole lot of that right now which is which is great but uh, one of the tri captains this year is a kid named Billy Honaker uh, a very 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 good offensive lineman and and what makes offensive linemen at Navy different from offensive linemen at Nebraska or Alabama or Auburn or programs like that is that they're not big lumbering. 340 pound future hall of famers like Tony Baselli or things like that. These are, these are fast athletic kids. Um, so yeah, they, they're going to have to see what the offensive line on the left side is going to be like, but uh, Honaker, you know, anchoring them there. And then a really, really good offensive line coach. Um, Ashley Ingram has been uh, fantastic uh, as well as Danny O'Rourke. Uh, in in coaching up those guys to to handle schemes from bigger defensive fronts, I think I think they're going to be good. I think the offensive line would be the least of the problems. Offensive line and the secondary, I believe, will be the strengths. It, it really comes down to how you fill in, you know, the striker position that lost a lot of dudes to transfer and um, and to graduation, and then slotbacks that have a, a similar dearth of of people. Yeah, that's what I worry about is uh, the slot back. I mean, when we talk about how well the quarterback's going to do or how well the offensive line is going to do, I-, I think a lot of their success, just given the way that uh, the triple option is set up, um, is going to be on is the slot back uh, or are the slot backs a credible threat for the defense? So, you know, do you have guys cheat up to keep an eye on the slot back? Do you take guys out of the box to cover the slot back? Um, that allow you to either bust up the middle with two very good fullbacks or to slip one in across the middle for a guy that can throw the ball, unlike a Navy quarterback has thrown the ball in years. So really, I think we're going to know pretty quickly um, how things run from a triple option standpoint, uh, depending on how our slot backs do. Yeah, I look forward to that. I wanted to flip over to the defense here for a minute. Diego Fago, I, I think, is the, the headliner of the defense here. But uh, Coach Newbury, the new defensive coordinator from the past year, it seemed like last year he just completely revamped this defense, reinvigorated it, and really brought it back to life. Are they looking like they're going to be just as stalwart on the defensive side of the ball this year as they did last year? I think it will matter, uh, like I said, with the striker position. Mm-hmm. They lost uh, some really, really good players, um, both to graduation and to transfer. Um, and, and that's really where the strength is. You know, just like on the offensive line, Navy doesn't have defensive linemen who are you know, future NFL players. You know, it's, just, it's just not the way we recruit. It's not the way you can be at the academy. 
Um, but where you really have strength is in that linebacking core and, uh, and then in the secondary for them to handle a passing attack or if a running back breaks through that first uh, line of defense. So you know, mentioned Diego. Every single person I've talked to uh, has talked about Diego as not just a possibility of a pro player, a very real probability of a pro player. And with the new DOD policy allowing academy graduates to pursue professional athletics, I think that's something that is definitely in his future. But, you know, we still have another year with him after this. Um, so that'll be good. And then, you know, McMorris in the secondary will be very, very good. Um, I, I think the defense, Newberry brought in a brand new, uh, just a philosophy that has been followed. And I'm sure Diego um, is very happy. And, and, I, and I wish you guys the best. I, you know, we've heard the news just like everyone about Bushman's injury. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one less variable uh, for him to have to deal with because, you know, everything that I've seen and heard, and you know it better than I do, Jacob, is that this kid was like a transformational tight end, like a TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant type of, uh, you know, type of athlete. And with that not a variable, I think that frees up Diego and the rest of the defense to get a bit more athletic. All right, I've got one more question on my end, and then I'll flip the tables, and you guys can feel free to fire away on BYU. I wanted to ask you about Coach Ken Niamatololo. Obviously, he's got connections here at BYU. He said his best friend growing up was Jack DeMooney, who's one of the recruiting coordinators out here in Provo. Kalani Satake grew up in the same small town on the north shore of Hawaii and Laie out there. And you look at the roster for the Naval Academy, there are a ton of Polynesian players on this roster. What kind of impact has he had on the Naval Academy and how has he transformed it really into his own program since taking over for Paul Johnson all those years ago? Well, I think, I mean, you mentioned taking over for Paul Johnson. I mean, uh, Ken Niamatololo has been here since 1995. Um, so he is, uh, you know, he is well familiar on uh, with what it takes to succeed both as a midshipman and as a Navy football player. Um, which I think is very important for um, a Naval Academy coach. You can have the best scheme. You can have the best uh, recruiting uh, philosophy. You can be the best X and O's caller uh, around uh, the the league. But if you don't really understand the culture, um, you're going to struggle. And that has not been a problem for uh, Coach Ken at all. The other thing that I think he has been willing to do because of his background is he's gone places and he's looked at people that – maybe Navy coaches in the past have not. And so you mentioned the Polynesian players. I mean, he understands um, the talent that exists uh, in Hawaii and elsewhere um, that previously has gone untapped by, by Navy and East Coast schools. Um, he can stand there credibly in a living room uh, and look a you know uh, mom or dad of Polynesian descent in the eye and talk about being able to take care of their, their son and, and, you know, what a Navy uh, education is and a Navy career is going to give them. So I, I think in addition to kind of understanding the culture and being a great play caller, uh, he just, he just brings a different approach that Navy hasn't seen uh, in, in a very long time. And, you know, we, we love him for it. And uh, we're really happy that he, he stuck around uh, and, and is not the BYU coach. <laughs> Uh, there was there were some pretty strong rumors right. when that whole deal went down. I remember him making his trip out here. He had a paparazzi right when he arrived at the Salt Lake International Airport out here in Salt Lake City. So some fun times there. There you go. Part one with guys from the Sing Second Sports Podcast. Some great thoughts from them. And they started a podcast in the middle of COVID-19. 
That is just crazy to me. Literally, the first sporting event these guys will actually have covered as part of their podcast is the upcoming game on Monday night. And great conversation. We'll continue it on in here in just a moment. Some more thoughts on the game on Monday night, what to expect from both Navy and BYU. From both of our perspectives, we'll get to that here in a moment. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends at Biomat USA, guys. Biomat USA needs you guys to go in and donate your plasma. The best part about donating your plasma is it actually has a benefit for both you and those you are trying to help by donating your plasma. How it helps you? Well, guess what? You have that good feeling knowing you're helping out your fellow man. But additionally, cold, hard, green cash goes right into your pocket. Money talks, y'all. You know that. Money talks, something else walks. And guess what? Biomat USA, they're happy to reward you for coming in to donate your plasma. I would encourage you guys to check out Biomat USA. They're located at 349 East University Parkway in Orem, right across the street from the University Mall. If you know where the Big Five is at right there, the Sizzler, you're right in the vicinity. It's real easy to find, essentially on the corner of University Parkway and State Street. Real easy location to stop by. They're open from the early morning to the late evening so they can fit your schedule from 5 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. I believe on Saturdays. I might be off a little bit on that on Saturdays, but they are available to have you guys stop by anytime. And like I said, you get rewarded for your donations with cold hard cash. The more you donate in a month, the more money you make. It's as simple as that. But they do need your plasma donations right now. There's a critical, urgent need for as many plasma donations as they can possibly handle because them and their parent company, Griffles, are looking into how plasma donations, especially from people who have recovered from COVID-19, that plasma might be hold the key. The antibodies in it might ha- hold the key to finding treatment options and maybe even a vaccine or cure for the COVID-19 virus, guys. It is an important thing that I'm asking you to do, but if you have the time, the means to do so, stop by and donate your plasma at Biomat USA, 349 East University Parkway in Orem. Feel free to give them a call if you have any questions as well. 801-235-9800 is their phone number. 801-235-9800. Like I said, stop by anytime, donate your plasma, put some money in your pocket, and also help out your, help out your fellow man in the process with our good friends at Biomat USA. All right, guys, part two of our conversation with the Sing Second Sports Podcast, more specifically on the upcoming game. We'll get to that right now on the Locked On Cougars podcast. All right, gentlemen, well, it's your turn. What do you guys want to know about the Cougars? How can I fill you in on BYU heading into this matchup? So for me, Jacob, yeah, we keep talking about the difficulty of having to play a roadie uh, first game. Now, normally that's a tough variable period. But then in this particular case where you are coming from Provo, uh, you've had uh, the last six months have been unlike any six months that any of us have lived in the entirety of our lives. Um, and now, you know, you're not only playing football again, but you're playing a roadie. You're, you're, you have to prepare on very short notice for a triple option scheme. How do you think they are going to handle the variable of having to play a road game, which comes with it? And I know these are football players and they fear no, they fear no one. <laughs> but there's got to be fear of traveling uh, or going to a foreign place and then actually performing, you know, everything that you've been game planning for. So how do you think they're going to handle that variable? 
I think the concern for them, yeah, is, there is some concern, obviously, with the travel. Of course, COVID-related issues are all the rage right now. I do think, though, with the fact that they're traveling charter and they're going to head out there and uh, the Naval Academy, by all accounts, has been pretty much on lockdown. It's created about as much of a bubble as you can create at, an, at a military academy as you could create in all of college sports. I think BYU is actually pretty comfortable with the current setup of this game. I do think the two two time zone travel where they're going from west to east is probably the biggest variable to pay attention to. BYU is not uh, it's not out of the norm for them to open the season on the road. Traditionally, as being an independent for the past decade or so, they have spent the first month on the road playing a lot of road games at Power 5 opponents. So I think they're used to traveling early on in this season, but I do think which is all of the unique variables going on right now with COVID-19 and yeah, you you mentioned it. It was a relatively short notice in terms of preparation here for a triple option attack. I wish I could say that I, the BYU is going to do one thing or the other or how they're going to play. I wish I could break that down more, but I do think that they'll actually be pretty well adjusted to handling I think some of the unique challenges this game might feature. I'll ask, um, you know, from your view, uh, you know, BYU wins if what? If they're able to do what in your, uh, you know, in your estimation? I think they win if they're able to control the turnover battle. Last year, they went seven and six, and the majority of those games that they lost, they did lose the, the turnover battle. I know that's a cliche. You win the turnover battle, you win games. You lose the turnover battle, you lose games. But you look at it, it really does correlate. If you win the turnover battle in many games, you, you win those football games by and large. And BYU, they do need to take care of the football. I also do think, though, they, they need to rush the ball pretty well in this game. They need to be able to control the ball a little bit more because Navy obviously with a triple option offense, it's a ball control offense. They traditionally have the ball more than their opponents do and that's not surprising. So I think BYU, the big key for them is yes, win the turnover battle and at least rush the ball effectively. I don't think you necessarily have to have a huge rushing day. You don't need to rush for 200 yards or whatever, but be able to move the sticks at a consistent basis and hold on to that football. So for Wilson, uh, losing Bushman is huge. Now, you know, the, the, the knock on uh, the Naval Academy prior to last year when Newberry came in was that if you were a high-flying offense with athletes, and we saw it a lot as we played Notre Dame every single year, um, you know, that if you, were, if you were bigger, faster, more athletic, that you could, you could kind of pick on them if you were a pro-style quarterback with speedy wide receivers. So who are the who are the weapons that we're going to have to look out for the most on Monday night um, that Wilson will go to in order to fill the void left by Bushman? Yeah, obviously Bushman, a massive loss that ruptured Achilles tendon, just a devastating injury for for that young man. And I think that the two guys that I would pay attention most of all in the passing game in terms of weapons here for Zach Wilson, one is a wide receiver, Dax Milne, a former walk-on of all things from uh, Salt Lake City area, Bingham High School out here, which is a high school powerhouse, but he was a walk-on to the BYU football program, has earned a scholarship just simply by being a tough-nosed, sure-handed receiver. He's not the fastest guy on the field. He's not the biggest 
guy in the field. They list him at six foot, 190 pounds. He's he's not a guy that walks on the field and you're like, that's the star wide receiver. But he is consistent and he makes spectacular catches. He had one last year against USC with a defender draped all over him. Zach Wilson fit the ball in nicely there and Milne came down with the catch. It was one of the more impressive catches of the entire season a year ago for the Cougars. So he is a guy to keep an eye on. The other guy is going to be the starting tight end in absence of Matt Bushman, and that's Isaac Rex. He is the son of a former BYU star, Byron Rex, who played here in the early 1990s, uh, a guy who was a standout player. But Isaac is all of six foot six, almost six foot seven, 260 pounds, and used, runs like the proverbial deer. He is everything BYU has wanted in a tight end for some time now, and that goes with a guy like Matt Bushman, who is a next level player. They're really excited to see what Rex can do, and this is going to open the door for him to maybe early on in his career here be a breakout star. So I think those two guys are guys to keep an eye on as you head into this game on Monday. What are you worried about um, from the Navy standpoint? Um, I mean, what what worries you in terms of whether it's the triple option, mm-hmm. whether it's the type of athlete? I mean, you, you know, what, what's going to keep you and the coaches up at night? To be frank, how BYU is going to defend this because last year they went to a very heavy rush three drop eight scheme and it felt like almost 90% of games they were playing in, they were rushing three defenders and dropping eight into coverage. Obviously, that scheme will change facing a triple option offense, but I do wonder how these guys are going to handle the whole idea of, okay, the triple option is all about gashing you when you make a mistake as a defender. BYU's got to be able to be assignment sound. And that's the, that's, you always hear that from teams that are getting ready to play the triple option. But this is something BYU has not faced under Kalani Satake. Long gone are the days of BYU annually facing off against the Air Force Academy and it being part of their routine every year to get ready for it. It hasn't happened in over a decade at this point. So I do look at this, and there should be some massive concern on BYU's part that, hey, we can preach to these guys, we can try and make, give them looks with our scout team of this triple option offense. But until you you see it in real time and trust that you know what the other 10 guys are doing their assignment I just need to do mine until they prove they can do that in the game on Monday night it's a huge huge variable and I'm guaranteeing that BYU coaches are worried about that just like I am so last question for me Jacob um you know the we're still pretty connected in the Navy uh we you know we uh have prided ourselves on maintaining those connections particularly with like special operations guys you know, if we heard it on like good authority that there's a team heading out to uh, Provo to uh, climb up the mountain and paint the Y blue and gold for uh, for Navy's colors, I mean that that's got to concern you. That's not going to be uh, that's not going to be good karma for you guys leading up to Monday. How are you going to stop that? Um, well, okay, good question in that regard because Y Mountain obviously uh, is, let's be honest, it's a mile-long hike, but it goes almost 1,200 vertical feet up in that mile. And there have been multiple times in the history, especially of the BYU-Utah rivalry, where that Y has been, let's, for lack of a better term, stained red. We'll put it that way. Uh, recently, a couple years back, they actually had a cougar outside Lavelle Edwards Stadium that was uh, doused in red paint by some Utah fans. So I don't know that BYU can ultimately stop it if it were to take place, but I can guarantee you they'll be quick to clean it up. Well, I, I will tell you, we've talked a little bit about it off, uh, <laughs> off the pod, but, um, you know, I'm sure as, as people are listening to this podcast, they might, they might recognize the name. You and I have talked, I, I grew up there, mm-hmm. went to Hillcrest high school. And yes, even back then Bingham was a powerhouse that just stomped us all over the place. But 
I, I did attend the University of Utah for a semester um, before I transferred <laughs> to Villanova University, and we were part of an ill-fated uh, attempt in the uh, this was in the spring of 1992 to climb that mountain and paint it red. <laughs> okay, uh, it did not go well. My co-conspirators, if they're listening, uh, Corey Kennedy, Corey Romrell, uh, Ryan Smart. Um, yeah, they <laughs> we were unsuccessful, but. Uh, but really, we, we appreciate we appreciate what you do there. Uh, we appreciate that BYU uh, was able to fill in uh, behind Notre Dame for Navy. And uh, and, you know, really, in the end, we're, we're just hoping that both teams come out healthy uh, and, you know, that the game is entertaining. It's it's so nice to have sports returning to the fold, um, you know, particularly in the form of football. So, you know, I know you're just as excited as we are. Yeah, amen to that. I'll just kind of echo what Kalani Satake said earlier this week. He says that the hope is for BYU when they head out there to play Navy is they can bring some normalcy back to life. I think all of our lives have been upended for the last six plus months with this COVID-19 pandemic. Nothing's nothing's normal. You're right. I th- I feel like may, in many ways my old life before COVID, I don't remember it at all. But I think that this Monday night game should hopefully let some people sit back and say, you know what, there's a little bit of normalcy going on. Yeah, I think I think that'll be refreshing and nice. And and I'll follow up one last thing and, okay. and then I'll I'll let you go. But Chris was talking about Nehemiah. Um having grown up in Utah, having spent a large majority of my life there. I still have friends there. You know, Nehemiah and and what he brings, um, you know, as as a member of the LDS church uh, has has been an incredibly good role model for so many guys. Not that Nehemiah is proselytizing or doing anything like that, but it is a, a very values-based and ethics-based approach to coaching. And that team, every football team has problems. Every family has issues. You know, there are always there are always issues out there. But you know, the the one thing that that everyone can say. Um, you know, to a man uh, out here at the Naval Academy is that Nehemiah is just a fundamentally good person. And, and he has instilled that value. Um, his family has been so very involved uh, throughout his time here since 1995. They have embraced the culture, as Chris said, and, and it's really just a credit to who he is as a man. Um, and and we we are all together and hoping that that we never see the day when he departs. But it's uh, it, it's it's just a benefit for us to have him and the and the values and ethics that, that he instills as part of this program. Uh, I'll echo that. I think these two universities, BYU is a little bit different with a religious connotation for their mission, obviously, but the Naval Academy, I think BYU fans have the utmost respect for all of the service academies. They have a long history with Air Force. They've played Navy before. They're going to play Army for the first time here in three weeks after this game. So I think that there's a a connector in terms of the mission. There's There's a bigger mission for both of these universities to go into this game, so I'm looking forward to it, guys. And I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time it's been an absolute pleasure to get some insight on the naval academy and i'm just i'm geeked i'm ready to see football on the field once again no same here and what i'll ask uh, of you and your fans is that regardless of how monday goes just give army the dickens beat the (laughs) hell out of them and uh, soften them up for us when we play them in december all right all right that's all we want from uh, from the byu fans go navy beat army that's 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 the gist of what we're getting today all right john chris thanks again for taking the time it was a pleasure catching up with you all right jacob take care thank you so much thank you
There you have it, guys. John and Chris from the Seeing Second Sports Podcast. I would encourage you guys to check it out as we get closer and closer to this game. They do a great job, and a big thank you to them for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. All right, a little bit of an extended edition today, but a big thank you for bearing with us. I felt like it was an important information that you guys would enjoy. So we don't usually go this long on, on this podcast, but hey, we'll be back to our normal length, 30 minutes or less on tomorrow's show. But regardless, make sure to follow the show on social media. Search us out, Locked On Cougars, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Make sure to follow my new newsletter as well. Search us out, the Cougs Daily Newsletter on Substack. Subscribe to it. My writing comes directly to your inbox. Real easy way to stay caught up with the Cougars. And a big thank you once again for your support of my work. All right, that'll do it for a Thursday edition of the show. I hope you guys are all doing well, staying safe. Wear those masks when you're not able to socially distance yourself while you're outside as we continue to crush this curve. And with college football on the way, folks, we have done it. It is on the way. So get excited. We'll be more on tomorrow's edition of the show as we get closer and closer to this matchup on Monday night between Navy and BYU. And until then, have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for September 3rd, 2020. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.